I'm Bryce Miller, and this is Talking Atlas. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talking Atlas. Unfortunately, Jacob is still a bit under the weather. He is both still sick, still hoarse, and actually currently in transit, so he can't be here to record this week. Though, let me tell you, he can do a fantastic Optimus Prime and or Morgan Freeman impression right now with how hoarse his voice is. We're taking this opportunity to bring you an episode about a lot of the things that I can talk about that that maybe aren't as much in Jacob's wheelhouse. When I'm playing Magic, I play Magic with a lot of tweaks. You probably know if you listen to this podcast that I predominantly am playing Commander. It's almost exclusively the format I build for. I used to build Constructed. I had a ton of Constructed decks, didn't like Commander at all. Once I got into Commander, I did not enjoy Constructed deck building quite as much. It felt like Commander had a lot more a lot more soul as a singleton format, and I enjoyed the challenge of building around a given card. And at this point, nearly everyone in my local metagame, which is partially my doing, plays Commander fairly actively. But that's not just what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the things that I do outside of that. There are a couple variant formats that we in our metagame tend to play, some of which you almost definitely know, some of which you may not. So I'm going to talk about a few of the other ways that we enjoy playing Magic. First up, a topic that I know I've broached but not really had time to explain fully. Horde Magic. If any of you have been playing since Theros Block, you might remember there was a little in-store promotion and supplemental product that was sold with each set in Theros Block. In Theros, it was Fight the Hydra. In Born of the Gods, I think it was Fend Off Some Minotaurs. And in Journey into Nyx, it was Fight a God, or something equally badass sounding. Those decks were a form of Horde. The way that Horde broadly works is that you have a deck that is predominantly, let's say, 60, give or take, percent creature tokens. And the rest of the deck are regular magic cards. And they should be cards that make you think as little as possible, that don't involve any choices. The reason being that it is a cooperative game. You are facing the deck, which is controlled via you, the players, moving things around, but essentially a simple artificial intelligence. So here's how the game would go. You shuffle up your decks. Let's say it's Commander. Let's say it's Constructed. It could really work for anything. You could probably even do it for draft that would be that'd be a little weird anyway you shuffle up your decks you have the horde deck all ready to go it's just 100 cards shuffled you have a given number of turns we've often done three but you might tweak it depending on the deck or how many people you have facing the horde deck you have three turns to set up your board state and prepare for the oncoming horde you guys also have a shared life pool what we've been doing usually is a base of 50 or so life, and for each player after the first, you subtract 10. So a single player will have 50 life, two players will have 40 life, three will have 30, and so forth. On the Horde's turn, which will start whenever you say, you reveal cards from the top of the Horde deck until you hit a non-token. So it might happen immediately, it might take a while. You might get flooded with tokens. Depending on how you're playing, either the non-token is cast, and then all the tokens are put down, or all the tokens are put down, and then the non-land is cast. Every creature that enters the battlefield on the Horde's side has haste and attacks each turn if able. 
you and your team collectively will fend off attackers and block, and then you get back to your turn. And it continues in this fashion until one of you dies. The goal generally is to make it pretty challenging, I think. I, I tend to like the idea that you're facing off a horde of very, very difficult opponents. The way that you help kill the horde, when there are no cards left in the horde's library, it loses. If you want to make it slightly more difficult, you could go with when there are no cards left anywhere, so when you've milled the whole deck and killed everything on board. Also, when you deal damage to the horde, and it doesn't usually block unless you wanted to make rules where it did, when you deal damage to the horde deck, you mill that many cards. You put that many cards from the top of it into its graveyard. Probably the most archetypal horde deck is zombies. In horde magic, you're encouraged to be pretty flavorful with it. So if you were building a zombie deck, you might have predominantly 2-2 zombie tokens that we see all the time. But maybe you grab a couple of the zombie giants from, I want to say, Alara block. And then you can have other zombie-flavored spells. You could have Zombie Apocalypse that destroys all humans and then brings all zombies back from the graveyard. The Horde does usually have a graveyard, so you can also include cards to, to play with that. This is a format that my friends and I have, have come back, we've revisited on occasion. We've looked into a couple different themes. Uh, one that I have very, very slowly in the works is a trial of three decks, which was suggested by another friend of ours. And the idea is to make a Horde deck for each of the three Eldrazi Titans, Kozilek, Ulamog, and Emrakul, where the tokens and the creatures in it are depicting only Eldrazi from that lineage, since there is a pretty clear set of physical characteristics that denote an Emrakul lineage, a Kozilek lineage, and an Ulamog lineage. Once that's complete, the goal will be to get through all three decks in one sitting, one life total. It will probably take us a lot of tries, but that's on my horizon. I'm also working on an ooze deck, because I really, really love oozes, and there are a lot of cool ooze tokens, like the ones from Mitotic Slime, that when they die, split in two. Another area for experimentation that we've been messing around in is creating a few additional, what are called heuristics, rules for this automated process to follow. And for certain decks, we introduce a given heuristic. So for this ooze deck, I had an idea of an X spell theme, where X is the number of turns that the Horde has had. So all of its spells will grow more powerful as time goes on. One of my friends made an Avacyn Restored Peasant Revolt-themed deck with all of the Innistrad, the human tokens, and some of the human tribal interactions. That was a great deal of fun. And that same friend also made a Selesnia hippie, we're gonna come take over you army deck. One of the best things about Horde is that it can supplement really any format, and it's unique in being cooperative. So much of Magic is it, it is necessarily player v player, PvP. Because unless you're playing against an AI on, on one of the games, th there's nothing to do. You need someone piling the deck across from you. And every once in a while, I do get tired of always having to oppose people, even two at a giant. You might have a partner, but you're still playing against another team. Horde Magic has allowed me the opportunity to sit down with my friends and say, we, all of us, are going to defeat this challenge, or attempt to, usually, that one of us has designed for us. Let's do it. The next format that I play from time to time is Popper Commander. And if you've been listening for a few weeks, you know that I talked in depth about Popper Commander a little while ago. My love of Popper Commander started when I found the card Gilder Baron, which can untap itself to double all counters on a permanent, 
and it was all downhill from there. I have a lot of piles of decks. Pauper Commander is like normal Commander, except you have an uncommon as your commander, and a deck of 99 commons. It means it's very cheap to build for. Most of my decks have cost me in the department of 2 to $5 to make. Also, it's really easy to pimp them out. You want a foil commander? You want a foil deck? It's not that expensive, actually. With a few choice cards, there are some commons that are really good in Constructed Pauper, or Modern, or Legacy. But getting them in foil is a bit of a tall order. But most cards, not going to be too much. Last year, I took Pauper to a new audience by planning something of a league in my, in my metagame. Because I wanted to see what the format was like. It's not very well established like Commander is, and there's no central rules committee because it's so small. So that Popper Commander League was a chance to get a bunch of my friends together, show them Popper DH, and say, hey, break this. What happens when people are actively trying to break this? Moving along, perhaps the format that I am most excited about recently, Ascension. Now, I say Ascension, and that probably means nothing to you. It really should mean nothing because it's a name that I invented. Ascension is based on a progression created by Reddit user Sneaky Spa, that's S-P-A-H. And when Zergo Bellstriker, as a card, was created, this Redditor had an interesting idea. Now, first up, Zergo Bellstriker reads as follows. He is one red mana for a 2-2 legendary creature orc warrior. He can't block creatures with power 2 or greater, and he has dash 1 into red. You may cast the spell for its dash cost. If you do, it gains haste, and it's returned from the battlefield to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step. Now, if you're like me and most of the internet, you looked at this card and said, wow, that's a really bad legendary creature for commander, which happens from time to time. Not every legendary creature is necessarily designed with commander in mind, and a 2-2 for 1 that can optionally be a sort of a 2-2 haste for 2, is a pretty solid constructed play. But with everyone complaining about Zergo Bellstrecker and how bad he was, Sneaky Spy made a decision. I'm going to read you the start of the post they made. Now, I know what you're thinking, Reddit. Why don't you just play Helm Smasher Anon? For a couple of reasons. I'm sick of Voltron decks without flavor. Without soul. With Zergo, I'm not just playing aggro. I'M SENDING A MESSAGE! The concept here, what this user did, at the beginning of each game, what this user did, at the beginning of each game with their Zergo Bellstriker deck, they rolled a die and chose a player at random. That was their mark. If they killed their mark, they got a kill. The deck began as 99 commons headed by Zergo Bellstriker, and every five kills earned this Redditor more things, higher rarities, sleeves for the deck, a deck box, all the way working towards incrementally foiling the deck. Now, I just alluded to a moment ago how much I enjoy Commander as a creative outlet. I am, I am a Johnny Spike. In my case, I like taking an idea, not necessarily a highly optimized cutthroat, I'm going to win all the time idea, but I like taking an idea and refining it into a very creative deck list. And especially in a singleton deck, you need to make a lot of decisions. Every card there matters. You've made a decision to put it there. It's not, oh, this card's really good. I'll put in four of it. It was, oh, this card's in my strategy. I'll do this. This other card will supplement that. This other card will act as a second copy of this, and so forth. The idea of Ascension makes the deck even more personal. You essentially turn it into an RPG progression system. 
because you're you're earning experience. For my Ascension deck, I decided to build a very off-the-wall Sliver Hivelord deck. Sliver Hivelord is white, blue, black, red, green for a 5-5 legendary creature, Sliver, with Sliver creatures you control have indestructible. I am not, I repeat, I am not building a Sliver deck. There is going to be no other Sliver in the deck beyond Sliver Hivelord. And also, if I were building Slivers, I'd probably build something like Sliver Overlord, because the ability to search for Slivers is pretty good, even if it's kind of slow and shuffly. This deck is based on a Pauper Commander deck that I made years back, and it was 5-color Voltron with the Blank of the Blank Cycle, what I refer to as the Blank of the Blank Cycle. An example of these cards is Favor of the Overbeing. It's one and a green-blue hybrid for an enchantment aura. It's a common, this one's from Eventide. Enchant Creature. As long as Enchanted Creature is green, it gets plus one plus one and has Vigilance. As long as Enchanted Creature is blue, it gets plus one plus one and has Flying. And all ten enchantments are like this. They are some number of generic mana, followed by a hybrid symbol. They are Enchant Creature. They give the creature plus one plus one and an ability if it's one color, and plus one plus one and the other ability if it's the other color. In the case of the white-black one, Edge of the Divinity, it's a little different in that it's a single white-black hybrid to give plus one, plus two, and or plus two, plus one. No keywords. Oh well. For whatever reason, I love these enchantments. I like multicolored themes a lot. I like hybrid. I enjoy Voltron. And since they're all commons, they were great in a Pauper Commander deck. I built one with originally Transguild Courier and then later Fusion Elemental. Transguild Courier is four mana for a 3-3 three, three artifact creature golem that is all colors. It has an ability that says it is all five colors. Fusion Elemental is just an 8-8 for 5. I say just an 8-8 for 5 as though that's, you know, oh, just it's just very well-costed and hard to cast. The idea of that deck was very straightforward. I have this 5-color commander. I'm going to put these auras and also other auras on it, and I'm going to kill you. I enjoyed the deck a lot, and I had considered for a long time porting it to commander. That's why I decided to do it for my Ascension project. Right now, I'm at a few kills into my commons. I have Sliver Hivelord, I have all commons, I have all the blank of the blank auras in there. In a little while, I'll have earned uncommons. A couple kills after that will be sleeves for me. The next couple kills, I think 20, will be rares. And that's where I'm really looking forward to modifying the deck. Right now, it's Voltron with as much multicolored matters themes as I, as I can muster. As time goes on, I'm going to make that even stronger and include an Ascendancy combo uh, with Jeskai Ascendancy, which is blue-white-red for an enchantment. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, you untap your creatures, and they get plus one plus one till end of turn. And whenever you cast a non-creature spell, you can draw a card if you do discard a card. I plan to combine the Jeskai Ascendancy with a couple of multicolored mana dorks to generate maybe not infinite mana, but a lot of mana, and continue casting multicolored spells from my deck to trigger the Ascendancy and untap all my creatures. Once I reach Mythic tier, I also am going to put in the card Conflux, which is one white, blue, black, red, green for a sorcery to search your library for a card of each color and put it into your hand. The fun thing about having the Voltron themes or having the Ascendancy combo is that casting Conflux can potentially retrieve you everything you need to kill one or more players. If uninterrupted, you will probably be able to kill someone. And five cards is enough that you can usually assemble a combo or a lethal Voltron collection of auras and also have something like Counterspell Backup, which is great. Ascension has done a funny thing to my commander play. I have, as you may know, 
a lot of commander decks. I have 32 right now. I will probably begin deconstructing some of the ones I don't play as much now that I've achieved the whole 32. But Ascension has done a very funny thing of making me really want to play that one deck. It is a very personal deck. I've never seen a concept like it. I like the factor of sitting down with a sliver commander and people go, oh, I know what this deck will do. It's going to be full of slivers who are going to grant each other abilities and then totally catching them off guard. I love that as well. But the fact that it has to earn every element, every improvement, makes it really, really rewarding. And I look forward to every opportunity for a kill. It also makes you play the game in a different way. When I'm playing regular commander, I'm usually thinking about winning, which, you know, that's fine. That's kind of what magic is partially about. But with Ascension, I care much more about getting a kill. If I could get two kills and lose the game, as opposed to get one kill and win the game, I would rather take the two kills because it will get me further to more cool stuff in this very weird, very personal deck. So that's been a great deal of fun. I look forward to playing more of that. Moving right along, a format that you're probably well aware of because we've talked about it and it's an official casual format, which is a weird statement to make. Official casual? Anyway, Plane Chase. We talked about Plane Chase at length when the Plane Chase Anthology came out. A quick reminder that you have a deck of oversized cards that represent either a setting in the multiverse or some kind of phenomena as magic flows through the blind eternities. At the start of the game, after you shuffled up, you reveal the top card of the planar deck, and you are there. You go to that place. It has a static effect, and it has a chaos effect, which is an activated ability. On your turn, you can, as a special action, which is the same pace that you play lands, roll the planar die. It costs however many times you've rolled it this turn to roll. So the first roll costs zero, the second roll costs one, then two, so on. It's a six-sided die. On one face, there's the Planeswalker symbol. On the other face, there is the Chaos symbol. When you roll Chaos, you trigger the Chaos ability of your plane. When you roll the Planeswalker symbol, you go to the next card in the planar deck. If you hit a Phenomenon, you do it, and then go to the next one. We've taken to playing Plane Chase in a lot of our multiplayer Commander games. It doesn't make things run faster, so you need to watch out for that. It just introduces more variation. But I found it also lets me embrace the gameplay a little bit more as I'm just here to have silly fun. When I'm playing Commander, I usually am thinking about, all right, here, here's my path to winning. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, which will set me up for this, and then I can combo out, and the game will be over. And sometimes having that mindset, while there's nothing wrong with it, it doesn't always help me get the most enjoyment out of my Commander games. The randomness of Plane Chase, that little bit of um, acceptance that there's going to be weirdness Let's me have a lot more fun. You might have heard me remark about the concept of the magic circle, which is a game design concept and has nothing to do with, with magic, the gathering in specific. The magic circle is the agreement, the unconscious agreement that players make before they sit down to play a game. And when I sit down to play a game of magic, I usually have that slightly more winning-oriented, spiky mindset. Plain chase, I'm, I'm agreeing to a different set of rules, even though I'm playing a very similar game, and that helps me enjoy it more. I think the same is true of a lot of my friends. Now, a variant of Plane Chase that we've also been playing on occasion is what I call, not too creatively, Extra Chaos Plane Chase. One of my close friends during us playing Plane Chase said, Bryce, I just want, I just want something to always happen. I want, when we roll a plane or die, I want something to always happen. And I, I filed this away. And I went down to my local makerspace and I laser cut some acrylic to assemble a six-sided die. Three of the faces have the Planeswalk symbol. Three of the faces have the Chaos symbol. Now you may be saying to yourself, Bryce, 
there is a 50% chance of doing one thing or the other. Why not just use a coin? And my answer is I could have used a coin, but having a six-sided die is a lot more fun. Also, it's very large and attractive looking. So from time to time, we break out the extra chaos die and play a game of plane chase where every time we roll, something happens. My friends have enjoyed this a great deal. I personally don't want to do it every plane chase game because what it means is that you go through the deck really quickly. Part of the variety of plane chases, in an average plane chase game, I probably see no more than like 20 planes or 20 plane cards. That might even be a high-end estimate. I feel as though if I see every plane all the time, that plane chase will start to get more boring, and I, I want to enjoy it for as long as possible. Now, my friends don't all necessarily agree with me. Some of them just want something to always happen. If I had time to make another extra chaos die right now, I would probably make one that were 2-2-2, two, two, and two, that had two planeswalker symbols, two chaos symbols, and two blank faces, because then it's more likely than not that something will happen. But it's not a guarantee, and that's nice, to know that you might stay, and you might not trigger chaos would slow it down just a fraction. Next category, a few multiplayer variants that we break out every now and again when we have a lot of people around. One, five-pointed star, which can also be any number of pointed star, really. But five is definitely the easiest, and it makes the most sense. In five-pointed star, the people directly across from you, if you imagine the magic pentagon, the people that would be your enemy colors are your opponents. The people on either side of you are not necessarily your allies, but they're not your enemies, at least. The goal here is to beat the two people across from you. If both of them lose, you win. This gets you into very weird political situations, because if I am close to defeating those two players, the players on either side of me will say, hey, I can't let that person win, so I'm going to stop them in some form. Most of the normal rules of magic apply. A bull ripe will hit everyone's things. Uh, you can target any player when it says target player. You can you can damage your opponent or your ally. But the goal is to kill the two people across from you. A format related to five-pointed star is Hunter or Assassin. In Hunter, you write everyone's name down on a slip. You shuffle them around, and you give one to each person. That person is your mark. Your goal is to kill that person. If you end up with yourself, then you're fine. You just need to survive. It's got a cute element of intrigue to it. If you've ever played the assassin with clothespins or spoons or, or water pistols, it's, it's kind of like that, where up until you make your all-out attack and open up at someone, they don't really know what you're going for. There's room for a weird kind of politicking that doesn't necessarily fit into magic usually. The last of these multiplayer formats, Emperor. Emperor is explicitly a 3v3 format. Two teams, each with an emperor in the center, and what I'll refer to as the sword on their left and the shield on their right. Emperor uses a set of magic rules that is range of influence. If I'm the emperor, I can cast spells with a range of influence of two. That means I can cast spells targeting my shield and sword and any of their stuff, and I can cast spells targeting my enemy's shield and sword and any of their stuff. But I cannot touch the emperor yet because their emperor is three degrees removed. The shield and sword each have a range of influence of one. They can cast spells targeting their emperor. They can cast spells targeting their enemy's shield and sword and their, their stuff, but only the one across from them. So my sword can only attack my enemy's shield, and the same is true for the other side, but swapped around appropriately. Everyone has their own life total. 
whenever a shield or sword dies, your range of influence doesn't change, but you can now reach the next thing because there's only one or two things in between you and your goal. So if I kill the opposing sword and I'm the emperor, I can hit the emperor. If I'm the sword, I can hit the emperor. If I'm the shield, I still can't unless I get through the enemy's sword. Now the reason that the shield and sword are called as such is because the emperor has an ability where they can tap a creature they have and pass it to either the shield or sword. Just give control of it over. Think of it like marching an army. For the sword, they untap immediately and can be used. For the shield, they can't block or do other things until the shield's turn comes around, which will take a little while. That's where the names come from. Range of influence rules sometimes are applied to effects that, say, destroy all creatures or, or, or things that would normally affect all players. If an emperor casts a wrath of god to destroy all creatures, depending on how you're playing, you might have it destroy all creatures, or you might only have it destroy the emperor's your shield and sword and the opponent's shield and sword, but not the emperor's stuff, because that is within your range of influence of two. It gets a little complex, but you can work out whatever you want to do in your gameplay. Emperor is another good game to sit in for a pretty long haul. It's another weird take, sort of like Horde Magic, where the emperor is playing a game that they have time to build. They can work on a board state, they can build an army, they can be prepared to march out and destroy their opponents while they're being protected by their shield and sword. I've also heard variants of emperor where you do march an army and when the emperor passes something over to their sword the sword can now attack the enemy shield across from them if the enemy shield dies then you need to take a turn to march those units those creatures into where the enemy sword used to be before you can attack the emperor so that's probably good for those who want a little more war game in their magic the gathering and we've got one more format for you today, something that I'm looking at for maybe planning this summer, and it's a custom commander league. When I say league, I don't quite mean what I did with a pauper commander league. I don't intend to have standings or a bracket or anything like that. If you frequent any of the magic subreddits, you might be aware of the existence of r slash custom magic. It's a subreddit dedicated to people who like making up magic cards. There are people there that make individual cards, that make whole sets, and there's also a Reddit user who every week is posting a best five cards, highest voted cards of r slash custom magic onto the main subreddit. So at least look at that. They're really very interesting. I appreciate those posts every week. The idea of the Custom Commander League is to allow us to play with commanders that we really wanted to, whether that's one that we found online that speaks to us, or whether it's a theme that we really wish had a commander, but simply does not. For me, I love the mechanic Investigate that was in Shadows Over Innistrad, Investigate says that you create a clue token, which is an artifact that has two. Sacrifice it, draw a card. I was very much hoping for something like a top-down Sherlock Holmes character that cared about Investigate or clues in some form. We got no such thing. We did get one reference that is probably meant to be a detective in Daring Sleuth, but we didn't get a commander for it. So I am using this custom commander league as an opportunity to do that. I'm going to design a commander that cares about clues. I'm going to stuff the deck with effects that generate clue tokens. And I'm going to have a good time. It is not about making something that is mechanically optimal or that is cutthroat. It's about taking a theme that you want and allowing you to do it. Whew. Okay, these solo episodes are always a little bit exhausting. You forget how much we talk in an episode. And normally we talk for an hour with two of us talking. 
I've talked for a little over half an hour now with just me talking, so I think I'll call it here. If you'd care to reach out and talk to me about the formats that I play, you can find me on Tumblr as WalkingAtlas, on Twitter as Walking underscore Atlas, or you can email us at the.atlas.walks at gmail.com. For Jacob, you can find him anywhere you find someone named Frogger, that's P-H-R-A-W-G-E-R, Twitter, Tumblr, Reddit, and, you know, probably on some custom commander card somewhere. For more Talking Atlas, find us on iTunes, Google Play, or our website, opalnebula.com. For the month of May, we're cross-posting episodes to SoundCloud and Opal Nebula. By June, we'll be posting only on Opal Nebula, and we'll make sure to swap the RSS feed over as well, so those of you on RSS should not experience any interruptions in service. As always, we will keep you informed. And finally, if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please consider finding us on Patreon at patreon.com slash talkingatlas. It is eternally a pleasure to tell you all what fun things we're up to, and until next time, happy planeswalking. Walking.